Recording in progress. Thank you all so much for joining me. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for just being a part of our lives. Thank you for leading us through the power of your Holy Spirit, Father. I just ask that you lead me in this discussion. Holy Spirit, please quicken my quicken me so that I can um, discuss everything that I need to discuss today. Let me be able to deliver the message so that it is edifying to the hearer, Lord. I also pray that you please allow us to retain your word and let your word be manifested into our lives. Allow us to be obedient. Allow us to crave and desire our will to please and to satisfy your plan, will, and purpose for our life. Most importantly, Lord, we just ask that you allow your will to be done in our life. We Leave every burden, every concern, every worry, every single problem and issue we led at your throne of grace. And we ask that you handle it. God, we thank you so much for going ahead of us in whatever the day holds. Thank you for going with us in whatever the day holds. And God, so we just ask that you please, please allow us to have discernment. Allow us to not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind in the name of jesus christ it is sealed in your atonement blood amen thank you all so much for joining me today on laws life and health let's talk about it so today i'm going to continue on in the discussion of women's health all right so let me go ahead and share my screen all right now on tuesday i was talking about um the rebellious people of the the rebellious israelites that were exiled out of egypt they were supposed to make it to the promised land and they would have made it to the promised land in 10 days but since they had had doubt and unbelief it was um it took 40 years for them to make it to the promised land so what i would like to talk about today is some of the um Bible Bible characters that were successful after like miserable failure. Then I am going to go back into the discussion of um, the different types of tissue to purchase. Um, also, I would like to sort of touch base with the um, the Toxic Links article uh, with menstrual uh, waste as well. Um, so if I'm able to get there, hopefully this week I'll be able to go over some of the most strongest women in the Bible. Okay. All right. And what, what are some of the things that we can learn from these women? Before I get into talking about the women, hopefully I'll get into that tomorrow or this week. Um, let's talk about success after failure. So this is so important. Because many times we're going to go through things in life that it'll, you know, um, cause us to fail. But f 
failure isn't a permanent condition a permanent condition it is a temporary condition right so let's look at some of the um, bible characters that had experienced some failure so let's look at joseph so joseph was 17 the first time that he had dreams about ruling over his family right so we read in the bible that um basically joseph um wasn't about just being a king or a boss it was about you know um the dreams that god was giving him and his brothers had misinterpreted the dream right so we don't know how joseph was acting towards his brothers or if he was like ah you know i'm special and you're not or na 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 i got this and you don't you know who knows how um joseph was acting towards his brothers so the dreams sort of meant that jo Joseph was going towards like a divine purpose. He was being positioned in a um, high position of influence, um, not only just in his family, but also within the future of other, within like different cities um, in, in Israel, right? So God was positioning Joseph, right? And so the the misinterpretation of his dreams with his brothers they became angry and envious towards him so understand that when you are changing your life and you are doing the things that god wants you to do it doesn't necessarily equate to everyone being happy for you right everyone isn't going to want to celebrate in your success but that doesn't mean that you are not going to be prosperous because you don't get the support of the people that you know, right? And yes, it could be painful. Who knows how Joseph was really feeling about all of that. Um, but since I studied the word of God through exegesis, which is I'm just reading what the word says and not eisegesis, which is reading into the word, it's so important for us to just understand what was taking place. So Joseph, we see that Joseph was called and Joseph was chosen why was he why was he called well he was called for a higher purpose which means that he was chosen by god right because his brothers were misinterpreting his dreams and so they became angry and they was envious towards him so they just basically wanted to kill him because you know he had a high position and they was jealous of him so we see throughout the bible that jealous and envy is a um it's a strong character for many other people in the bible we see that with cain right cain actually literally killed abel his brother because he was angry and anger was desiring him and so he gave in to the desires of anger and the, the feeling of anger he gave in to it and so many times you see people that's in jail right now today because they have what given in to anger what happened in the moment during this time or you know because of their feelings see the feelings is what caused them to react to this and uh their feelings is what caused them to behave this way right so it at most of everything starts with a feeling and an emotion so when we think about Eve, for instance, what did she do? She had a feeling. She thought that it was pleasing and, and, and pleasurable, right? This is why she ate from the forbidden tree that God commanded her not to eat from 
because she thought she thought it was pleasing. See, pleasing is also a way of something that is attached to an emotion, right? Emotions are attached to many different things. So let's look in the Strong's Concordance. And what I would like to look at specifically is um, uh, what is, I want to look at pleasing. Um, yeah, I got it right. Okay. So if you look at the word pleasing, right? Hold on one second, please. Look at the word pleasing. And we look in Esther. I want it's only a few times where it, it lists the actual word pleasing. So the Bible is comprised of two different testaments, the Old Testament, which is written in the Hebrew scrolls, the New Testament, which is written in the Greek. Right. So the, the Hebrew scrolls, um, it consists of the first, the, the, the Torah, um, which is the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. So those five chapters, the first five chapters of the Bible is the Torah, which is also called the law. And so um, we can understand what the law of, of God is by reading the, the um, Old Testament. And so the New Testament, it is interpreted through the Greek. Um, and so when we are understanding the word of God, you want to look at the words and where they were derived from. And the way that we do that is through the Strong's Concordance. The Strong's Concordance provide us with a way to interpret the Hebrew language and also the Greek language of the Holy Bible. And so when you're searching through um, the Hebrew scrolls and also the, the Greek of the Bible, you want to make sure that you have the right understanding of it. So if you want to understand the different words in the Bible, they come with a set of Strong's numbers that are identified with what that um, scripture is discussing. So you have about over about i think it's about a hundred different scholars that actually have taken the time and interpreted the hebrew scrolls and interpreted the greek for us to be able to understand it through the english and other different translations so what's important here is that when we're searching through the bible we want to reference the strong's concordance and go back and understand how words were derived from right and so I'm going to use the Strong's Concordance, specifically the King James Version, because in order to understand the the uh, Hebrew and the, the Greek and the, the Hebrew and Greek uh, interpretation, you have to uh, um, you have to input the King James Version in there. OK, and so once that information is inputted, it'll give you like a series of different word so it'll show you each time the word love was mentioned in the bible it'll show you each time the word pleasing is mentioned in the bible so for instance the word pleasing the one that i'm using has been only listed in the bible one two three four five six times right now when we look at that we could look also for the word love so let's type in the word love and so the word love is written in the Bible 281 times, okay? If we were to type in the word Christian, the word Christian is written in the Bible two times, 
All right. So this is going to be derived from the King James Version because the King James Version is the original Hebrew scrolls. Okay. And that is the way that it's interpreted. So going back to the word pleasing, I would like to go over each one of those because um, once you begin to go on your journey of understanding the Strong's Concordance and how to search for the Hebrew um, terms that's interpreted through the English and also the Greek knowledge, what you will see is that the word pleasing may be a different meaning in a different scripture. And so we see now, even though the word pleasing is mentioned here six different times, it actually means six different things. And so it has six different strong numbers attached to those uh, word um, words, pleasing. Okay. And so let's look at the first one. The first one is in Esther 8 and 5. And it says, and said, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seemed right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagites, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's province. Um, and so if you have a question, please put it right here in the Q&A, and I'll be sure to answer it there. Okay. Okay, so from here, we see that the Strong's number for pleasing is 2896. So it is actually 02896, but you could denote the zero because it really means nothing. It's just um, a number to let you know that the Strong's number is consistent of having five numbers, right? So this number is 2896. The word is pronounced Toby. It is derived from Strong's number 02895. It means good as an adjective in the widest sense, used likewise as a noun, both in the masculine and the feminine. The singular and the plural, plural good, a good or a good thing, a good man or woman, the good goods or good things, good men or women. It is also an adverb, which means well, beautiful, best, better, bountiful, cheerful, at ease, fair, favor, fine, glad, good, good deed, good, goodliest, goodly, goodness, goodnesses, graciously, joyful, kindness, kind, like it, best. Also loving, merry, most pleasant. So this is what the word pleasing mean. In Esther, which is Strong's number 2896, the, the Hebrew word is Toby, okay? And so, okay, so, um, and so what this means, if it please the king, it means that these are good things that people do, right? They are good, they are well, they are um the best they are favored so that's what pleasing means here um if we look at hosea 9 and 4 it says they shall not offer wine to the lord neither shall they be pleasing unto him their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners 
all that eat thereof shall be polluted for their bread for their soul shall not come into the house of the lord right so we see that the word pleasing here has a different meaning than the the pleasing uh toby um hebrew word in esther right so the Hebrew number here, the Strong's number is uh, 06149. And the Hebrew word is pronounced Arabi. It is a primitive root that means agreeable, to be pleasantly or take pleasure in, to be sweet. So this is something through the idea of close association. Um, it is derived from Strong's number 6148. And it is Arabi right and so what this is saying this is something that just going to please a person it's pleasurable to them right this isn't significant like the way it spoke about good men and good women or favorable you know that type of pleasing in esther so let's look at the word um pleasing in colossians colossians 1 and 10 it says that ye may walk worthy of the lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this is Strong's number 699. It is pronounced Arakia or Araskia, Araskia. It is um, a derivative word from Strong's number 700, which means complacence, pleasing. So this is uh, similar to um, Strong's number 6149, where it's taking pleasure, but it's not the same. It's just a correlation. And so when we look at Colossians 3 and 20, it says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. And so this is Strong's number 2101, which is pronounced, you are estos. You are estos. It is derived from 2095 and also 701. It means fully agreeable, acceptable, and well-pleasing. So you're going to be acceptable, well-pleasing, right? That is what this pleasing means, fully agreeable. We have to fully agree with our parents. Fully agreeing does not necessarily mean the same thing as pleasing in Esther or pleasing in a Hosea. Well, we see that um, uh, Arabi is uh, it's agreeable, but it doesn't say fully agreeable. So this means that, okay, Arabi, which is Strong's number 6149, you can agree with it, but it doesn't say fully agreeable. We see fully agreeable when it talks about obeying your parents in all things. So first, um, first Thessalonians two and four, but as we were allowed to, I'm sorry, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts, right? This is Strong's number 700, which means Aresco. It is derived from Strong's 142, which means an exciting emotion to be agreeable or by implication to seek to be so pleasing. So, you know, this is agreeable. It's somewhat similar to, um, 
you know, Hosea 6149, also of, uh, what is this one? The Arasgia, which means pleasing. Um, it also correlates with um, well-pleasing. Uh, so we see that there is a correlation of the word pleasing, but they are different. And so in 1 John 3.22, it says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So this is Strong's number 701, which means RSDOS. RSDOS, agreeable by implication, things that are perfect, pleasing, and reason. So you have to have a reason to be pleasing on this one, right? And so, how? What is that reason? Who, who, uh, who, whosoever we ask, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments. So this is how we are pleasing in, in God's sight. So you have to have God has to have a reason to um, be pleasing in His sight, and that is because we keep His commandments. And so this allows us to be pleasing in God's sight. And so that that word is um our estos. Okay, so we see that the word pleasing is different. Now let's look at um the word. Let's look at Genesis. I wanted to go back to Genesis and Eve. So we're gonna go to Genesis 2. And uh, let's see here. I need to go to the King James version so we see here that um one moment the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes that's what she said pleasant so let's look that up in the Strong's Concordance. Pleasant. So we see the word pleasant is in Genesis 3 and 6. And so this is the one that I was referring to about Eve. Now, after we went over the word pleasing, so we see that pleasing and pleasant is going to be different, right? So um, pleasant in the Strong's Concordance in Genesis 3 and 6, it is Strong's number 08378. It means ta'aval, ta'aval, ta I'm sorry, I'm trying to pronounce it the best way. It is uh, ta'aval. So it is derived from Strong's number 0183. It is, that's where it's abbreviated from. So it has a longing by implication, a delight, subjectively satisfaction, objectively a charm, dainty desire, exceedingly, greedily, lusting, lust, pleasant. See, so you, you see all of this is the word pleasant. So she was lusting. She uh, was greedily, exceedingly desiring implication. This, uh, implication is a risk. Basically, when you see the word implication, that's a risk. All right. So um, there are a lot of different words that we can attach to these words. For instance, the word greedily. Let's look this word up. Okay. 
So the word greedily also has other words attached to it, right? We see uh, coveting, right? Covetousness, mercenary. That is the word greedily. All of that is attached to, to the word greedily, okay? And so if we look at the word uh, implication, let's look at implication. So implication here also has some negative annotations as well, right? We see that, that this is something that is implied. Also the act of implying something. Um, let's see. Close connection, incriminating involvement. See that? Implication is an incriminating involvement. The act of implicating the or the state of being implicated. Implying, right? So let's look at, let's see the word uh, desire. We see the word desire here because it's pleasant. Pleasant was the word that we were looking up in the Strong's. So we see desired, desiring is to express or, right? So she wanted this. She wanted to invite this. This 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 was something that she embraced. She was inviting to this desire, right? She craved this desire. It says sexual urge or appetite, desire, longed or hoped for something, request or petition for some action, right? So we see that. The word pleasant in Genesis 3 and 6 has a negative annotation. It's negative in, in, in its rawest form in the strong concordance, which is interpreting it in the Hebrew Bible, which is the word ta-ta-va'al. Ta-va'al. So it's T-A-H-A-V-A-W. That's the way it's pronounced. It is spelled T-A-A-V-A-H. So it's something like that okay so just moving forward with that we see that there are um a significant amount of um we see that there is a significant amount of when people are desiring things when things are pleasing to them we can also analyze the word anger and envy in the same aspect. So if they are angry and envious, like how we see that Joseph brothers were, right? They probably had desired and would, they probably had pleased, you know, they, they wanted what they brother Joseph had. They, that envy that they had made them crave the desire to be pleased to have those same type of dreams so envy will lead to what let's let's look at the complete definition of envy so envy is a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joint with a desire see that with a desire to possess the same advantage so when someone is envying something, you can attach the word desire to that. They are desiring what someone else will have and what someone else wants. And so that desire is not going 
to, you know, allow them to feel any type of pleasure from it. They are just envious. That's it, you know? And so what we have to understand is now Joseph brothers, they had anger and envy. So it's going to be people in your life that's going to have anger towards you. They may have envy towards you. They may desire the things that you have. They may desire your material possessions. They may desire your personality. They may desire your character, your attributes. You know, they may desire your boldness. You know, they may desire a lot of different things about you. And so that desire that they have can turn into envy. And so it's so important. It is so important to understand that there are so many people in this world that give in to envy, that give in to the desires of the flesh, to, that they give in to their carnal thinking, they give in to what is pleasing to them, they give in to what they desire. All of these different things are emotions. So let's look at the word emotions, and I would like to do more of it. Um, analogy of, of emotion so emotion is a conscious mental reaction such as anger or fear so we see that there is a direct correlation with anger and emotion but anger isn't the only one fear isn't the only one so this is why i wanted to show you all the word pleasing the word pleasant and also the word emotion right and also the word envy because emotions is what had contaminated Eve. It started with the emotion of her. Let's go back to that, that scripture here. I'm going to keep that definition up and then I'll reflect back to it in a minute. So we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. So when we're looking at Genesis, we see that in Genesis... Um, what is it? Genesis 4. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. No, verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6. When a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, we see that emotions is what emotions are desires desire okay a conscious mental reaction such as anger or fear sub subjectively experienced as strong feelings usually directed toward toward a specific object and typically accompanied by a physiological and behavior changes in the body so this anger and fear is an emotion Feelings are also desires. Emotions are desires. We see that in the book of Genesis 3 and 6, that the desire for gaining wisdom was the emotion. Okay? The desire for gaining wisdom was the emotion. So emotions entered into man it was the emotion so for instance if we move forward in this 
the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered in verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. A afraid is what? Emotion is what? Anger or fear. Such as anger or fear. Afraid. They, this means that they had emotions, emotions. So in verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me, put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. See, so now, now we're going to go back and so they, they're about to do the blame game now. That's what you call the blame game, the scapegoating. They're gonna, he's gonna blame the woman, the woman's gonna blame the snake, the, the snake, and need none of them are gonna take accountability for their actions. Okay, neither one of them. All right. And so what's really important is to understand that emotions is the fall of man. It was the emotions, the, the desire. The desire, in verse 6, the desire for gaining wisdom that Eve had. So she took some and ate it. And she also thought it was pleasing to the eye. Pleasing. This is an emotion. Desire. That is an emotion. This is all emotions that she's feeling here. So emotions is what entered in man. They were afraid. This was an emotion. They hid because they were afraid. That was an act. And then that their, them hiding was the action. But them being afraid was their emotion. So they, they got these emotions and feelings. So you have to understand that people get in trouble every single day because of their emotions and their feelings. They, it's so many people behind bars in jail because of their emotions and feelings marriages are destroyed because of emotions and feelings relationships are destroyed because of emotions and feelings people lose their temper people get angry they have envy they have jealousy they have strife they have all, they, they slander people because of emotions and feelings. So what we see here is that Joseph brothers, they, they was angry and they envied him. So they was basically emotionally angry and emotionally envious towards him. Because that's what emotions are. Emotions is a strong feeling that is directed toward a specific object and typically accompanied by a physiological and behavior change in the body. So this is your conscious mental reaction, such as anger or fear. This can also be desire. So you have to understand that these are experience of strong feelings that's usually impacting your behavior emotions impact a person's behavior emotions will cause you to either love a person or hate them emotions cause so many different things don't it 
So after being brought in and exported to Egypt, um, Joseph had found a nice job being a hardworking, wise young man. And um, he was, even though Joseph, Joseph, uh, he did fail, right? The This article is about failures, but the Bible doesn't tell us that Joseph committed any mistake or sin. He was human. And at some point he felt like a failure himself, right? His mother did a good job of teaching him the scriptures and the sovereignty, which is the power of God. Um, but many people in, in the Bible, you know, um, of course they had feelings, even though they don't talk about the feelings, right? Joseph showed stewardship, right? He also had, uh, be, he was in charge of the palace. His brother sold him into slavery. So, you know, he had to have some type of resentment. We see here, let's go, let's go to the um, Bible and talk about what was going on with Joseph. Here we go. So now we have Joseph was sold by his brothers. If you go to your Bible in Genesis 37, right? He was sold by his brothers into slavery. So let's go to Genesis 37, verse 19. Here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now. Let me unplug this video and plug it back. It says, here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now. Let's kill him. And throw him into these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes out of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. From their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There, were no water, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianites Merchants came by and his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So you see like his brothers sold him. They were about to kill him. They were plotting to kill him. This is how far their anger and envy was towards Joseph. Some people... You cannot put a level on the type of anger or envy that they have for you because you don't know. But God will give you discernment so that God will make you aware, right? And so...
you have to be careful when there's anger and envy around because you never know what could be expected of something like that right when people are willing to go as far as the way joseph brothers were about to go they were about to kill their brother because of angry because of anger and because they were angry and they envied him they envied him because of their emotions their emotions led them a desire to desire killing their brother this was wrong this is wrong right so going forward it says in verse 29 when reuben returned to the cistern and saw that joseph was not there he tore his clothes he went back to his brothers and said the isn't there where can i turn now when they got joseph's robe slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood they took the ornate robe back to their father and said we found this examine it to see whether it is your son's robe he recognized it and said it's my son's robe some ferocious animal has devoured him joseph has surely been torn to pieces so they did not just go to the point of desiring to kill their brother but then selling him into slavery and then not just that but now they go and plot the way that they're going to cover up his supposedly death so in verse 34 it says so jacob tore his clothes put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days all his sons and daughters came to comfort him but he refused to be comforted no he said i will continue to mourn until i join my son in the grave so his father wept for him meanwhile the midianites sold joseph in egypt to potiphar one of pharaoh's officials the captain of the, the captain of the guard so you see here that he had to feel something in genesis 41 39 through 42 it said then pharaoh says to joseph now this is some time had went past and everything so we read about joseph's way to egypt um, where he was put into detention then we read about the victory of god that um that god gave joseph right that showed he, that he had stewardship right and so genesis 41 39 and 42 we see that since god has made all this known to you there is no one so discerning and wise as you you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit your orders only with respect to the throne Will I be greater than you? This is what Pharaoh said to Joseph. So now he had one of the highest positions in all of Egypt. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. The Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. So understand this, like, even though Joseph was feeling defeated, right? Because he did. He basically failed. He, what do you think he was feeling? He was in a cistern. His brothers was plotting to kill him, right? His brother stripped him naked of his robe and everything and gave him away. Then he sold into Egypt, you know? So, like, he felt like, he probably felt like he was a failure, but guess what? 
it says that Joseph lived a long time. And some people would consider him to be a loser, but in God's sight, he was not. He wasn't because he was humble. He was a loyal, faithful servant of God. And he kept exercising the gifts that God has given him. So in spite of whatever you're going through, it doesn't matter what your problem is. It doesn't matter what the situation may be. If you remain loyal and faithful to God, God will never, ever give up on you. So that there is hope. There is hope out the failure. And so if you understand that failure is not a permanent condition, failure is a temporary condition. Failure will lead you to opportunity. Failure will lead you to trust in God. Okay. So let's look at, um, let's look at the Job. Now, Job is somebody that I talk about a lot in the Bible. Okay, so let's go to the book of Job, Job chapter 3. And so I'm reading um, basically just gathering some of the Bible characters. They're not verbatim, but um, I'm really mainly pulling the information from the Bible. But I wanted to go over these five Bible characters that were successful after miserable failure. And this is an article that was published by Alberto um, Carvajal. Okay. And the website is beliefnet.com. And so um, he has some great thoughts on Job. So I would like to read some of it. And then I'm going to go to the book of Job chapter three. Okay. So let's go here. So there was a man who had everything um a modern rapper this he's calling him a rapper <laughs> that that is so funny because job was not a rapper he was a weeper actually a weeper that was crying like non-stop okay that is a weeper he wept about everything like can you imagine being around somebody who's always like oh you know this is going on and you know god gets all the glory and but this is what's happening and this is so bad and you know the trees uh they, he was just talking about all type of stuff so like if you think about something good he would say something like well this they you know if you look at the trees and the trees are living good and my life is not like that's that's how you have to push yourself in the mind of job job was a weeper he wept about every single thing it was because he went through a lot but this person is calling job a rapper <laughs> so i actually never saw a reflection about job like that but um so they're calling job like a modern day rapper or anybody else can wish money 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 a good name health and beautiful family but then Mr. Satan, um, the accuser, went to God and asked for permission to mess with Job's life. Okay, so that that's that's a cool introduction of Job. Um, but the devil did go outside the gates of heaven and he did bargain with God over Job's life. And so the same thing that he did with Job is some of the same things that he do in the lives of God's children every day. He goes outside the gates of heaven bargaining with God over your soul. If you would just allow me to, you know, cause her to fail in this area, she's not going to pray. If you allow me to remove this person from their, their life, 
they're going to curse you to your face. You know, so you have to look at all of the different things that was going on in Job's life that really, really showed that Job was going through a real weeping type of experience. And so he did go through like a lot of tragedy. And so you might be going through some tragedy in your life, right? Like, you know, you might be having problems. You might have lost your job. You might have lost a loved one. You may went through, you know, like a divorce. All of these different bad things are taking place. It's because the same thing that happened with Job is some of the same things that's happening in the lives of God's children. So the enemy goes outside the gates of heaven bargaining over your soul saying, you know, just let me do this to him. If you just let me do this, he's going to curse you. He's going to react emotionally. He's not going to praise you. That just let me take away everything he has. He going to curse you. I could promise that he's not going to believe in you no more. So that's what the devil does. He goes outside bargaining with God over you, over your soul. See, the word of God is God's instruction for us to follow. And so God is preparing us ahead of time by reading his word. So if you read it, you'll understand the book of Job. It's, it's just meant for us to understand the way God operates. And so tragedy had struck in Job's life. He had basically he lost all of everything he had, the wealth that he had. And the storm took the lives of all of his children. So he lost all of his children. Then he had a debilitating disease that left his whole body covered in painful boils, right? And so um, the, the decision was, God said, do not touch him. Like, basically, do not kill Job. You can do everything to Job besides take his life. So Job did, he had some bad moments in his life. He wasn't a rapper like this author is suggesting, but think about it. He had failure after failure after failure after failure. It was so many people that was coming back and forth. It was one messenger giving him bad news. Then another messenger giving him bad news. Then another messenger giving him bad news. So you have all of these bad news that's coming back to back to back to back. He felt horrible. So yes, Job felt like failure. He he went to the point that he just just kept weeping and weeping and weeping about everything. He just would not stop. He just kept going on and on and on and on, nonstop about all of these horrific things that was going on in his life. So it's it, the, the author is saying also, did Job have a bad moment and think of of himself as a failure? So, yes, but not only that, his own wife told him that he was a loser. And according to a couple of Bible versions, she even suggested that the, that she that he should curse God. Now, see, you have to understand that Joel was losing everything back to back to back to back to back. So everything happens for a reason. Right. So the enemy knew that he could probably come in through the wife. You know, this is a wife that is someone that was sharing the wealth with Job. This is someone who was married to Job, who shared in his wealth, shared in his blessings, shared in his life, provided a family with him. All of these things have taken place. But instead of her falling to his knees, falling to her knees and praising God like Job did, let's, let's look in the book of Job right now. I actually would like to go to um, Job chapter one. 
because it talks about his reaction to all of these things. So it says here that um Okay, so if you look at Job chapter 1 verse 20, it says here, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. He worshiped God and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return to, to thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. See, what the enemy wanted him to do, he wanted Job to curse God. He was expecting Job to curse God. So in the event Job didn't do any cursing or charging God of all of these things, the enemy knew that he could use the wife. See, because the enemy had to get permission from God in order to cause Job to lose his wealth, to lose his children, to lose his mind, basically, and to get this illness. So the enemy knew what he was going to do to Job because he did. God gave, God gave the enemy, which is Satan, permission to do this to Job. And so with all of that taking place, Job fell to his knees and worshipped God. He worshiped God. He didn't blame God. A lot of times you're going through experiencing in your life and you sitting here blaming God for this. You blaming God for losing your kids. You blaming God for your divorce. You blaming God for infidelity in your marriage. You blaming God because you lost your job. You blaming God because you lost your house. You blaming God for this illness. You blaming God for so many different things. And that's because that's what the devil wants you to do. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He still goes outside the gates of heaven, bargaining with God over your soul. So you don't give him no credit. You have to do what Job did. Job did what? He weeped. He, but the first thing he did when he heard all of this, he fell to his knees and worshiped. He worshiped God. This shows a lot that this shows the wisdom of Job. The faithfulness, the loyalty that Job has for God. He knows that God is sovereign. God has sovereignty. God is all power. God is omni, omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is everything. He knew this. He wasn't, it says, nor charged God foolishly. Job did not sin. And he did not blame God. Because even though God gave the enemy permission, God gives you the decision. You have the final decision whether you choose to worship God, whether you choose to follow God, whether you choose to praise God, whether you choose to keep God in your life. It's your decision. See, because Job lost everything, but he understood that failure was a temporary condition. Failure is not a permanent condition. 
So we can't look at it. We can't look at it as being something that is a permanent condition. Job lost all of his land. He was the richest in all the land. He lost his kids, every single one of them. He was cursed with boils all over his body. And then his wife, which was supposed to be the helpmate, his support system, his person that he could trust, the one that he slept next to every single night, the one that he probably confided in, the one that he chose to marry and have kids with. Instead of, instead of her supporting him, the support that she gave him was doubt and unbelief. She was defeated, so she fed him defeats. She said, why don't you curse God and die? This is her, this is his support system. The person he slept next to every single night. So just because your support system, your support system isn't there for you, just because people are not complimenting you on doing a good job, just because you're not being recognized at work, just because you, you may not be getting the help that you need from your family and friends or the same people who you have helped. Let me explain something to you all now. Let me give, give, go back to my testimony because I have a bunch of testimonies. Okay, let me explain something to you. I gave a person a vehicle, a van. They didn't have a car, but they I gave them a van. They ran up tickets in my name. Told me they ain't about to pay for nothing. These are tickets, okay, like red light speeding tickets. Because my plates were still attached to the car. And I trusted them to get the plates out of my name. This was someone that is a support system of mine, a family member. They ran up thousands of dollars worth of tickets and told me, well, forget it. And then a couple years later on after that, asked me, well, hey, you know, I need some money to get my truck fixed. Could you help me with the money? And I did. I still helped. I'll get a thousand dollars to get that little part fixed on the car. That's what you need. I want to see you do good. You say you got to go to work. It's okay. I'm not even thinking about how you did me. It's cool. I'm not even worried about that. God blessed me 10 times over that amount. I just know next time you won't be riding on car with my place on it. So it isn't about what the person did. It's really about how did they make me feel? They made me feel, they made me feel resentful at that moment. But it didn't make me feel unforgiving. Because I can't be mad at somebody that long. I'm going to still talk to you. I'm going to still come back over your house. I'm going to still communicate with you. I'm going to still help you, especially if I see you in need. So that's what happened. And that's one instance. Another instance, I gave a girl who wasn't even ready to me a whole car. That I literally spent over $7,000 in the engine to get fixed. I didn't even give a thank you. I didn't get no help from this person for anything. And what was really tripped out, I even spent money on their kids' birthday. 
They didn't do nothing for me or nothing for my kids. I don't get mad about it. I just said, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. God, I put that situation in your hand. I pray that you bless them. Bless them to understand what it means to give. Because, see, I, I, I gave so that you can go out and give to the next person. You know, so you have to understand that sometimes people that you support, they may not be there for you. In no way. So I, I don't really ask people for anything. And I definitely didn't ask those individuals for anything. In my, and to know no type of help with nothing. Because what they showed me was. They character. that The, the fruit of their spirit. Showed me that they don't have the ability. To think in a positive way of giving. They're not going to give anything to anyone. So why would I expect them to give anything? So I, I'm not going to disappoint myself by expecting something from them when I know it isn't in their character to give. It isn't in their character to be supportive. Because a person that you can help and they, they don't even say thank you, that's unappreciative. So it isn't in their character to be a, a, a giving person. It isn't in their character to be, to be an appreciative person. So you can't expect anyone that acts this way. You can't expect them to give you anything. Because they don't know the principles or the practical applications that it takes to be victorious in life. See, God know that. But God will show you that. So if Job didn't go through this experience of losing all of his wealth, of losing his children, of becoming ill, Job would have never knew the type of wife that he was sleeping next to. Job would have never knew that his wife could conjure up some words for, to him to say, why don't you curse God and die? Job probably didn't know that his wife would turn on God with the quick of a second, within a matter of some seconds. But see, even though that situation was bad, God turned it around for good. So let's go back into the um, reflection of what um, this author is talking about. So he talks about in Job 3, after this, Job had opened his mouth, mouth and cursed the day that of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish in the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. So Job, however, Job as Joseph still stayed loyal to God, to God's will and God's sovereignty. So it looked like everybody else wanted him to quit and die. I wouldn't say everybody else. I would say that that cadaver wife of his, who he thought was a good supporter. See, because the people who you placing on a pedestal, unless you testing and trying a spirit, you may never know what they will be willing to give in to. Which is why I don't underestimate nobody in this world. I don't trust anyone 
God said, do not put your trust in men for they will fail you. I don't trust nobody. I don't trust anyone because that's what God told me not to do. They people fail themselves. So what makes you think they're not going to fail you? They are battling their own internal inconsistencies. They are battling their own flesh. They are battling their own kernel mind. They are battling all of the desires of their flesh every single day. And what makes you think they're going to choose to be good? We all have fallen short of the glory of God. This is why God don't want us to put our trust in mere humans. Because God wants us to trust him. Because see, God isn't going to have feelings that are that were hidden like Job's wife. Job was a perfect, obedient man of God. Perfect means mature, mature. He was a mature in nature and in act. He was a mature man. When he heard about all losing everything the way that he did, he fell to his knees and he worshiped God. That's maturity. He knew. He knew about God. He know and understand the power of God. So you understand that people are going to fail you. So you don't put your hope, don't put your trust in them. You put your hope and you put your trust in God. Because people fail themselves. So what makes you think they are not going to fail you? They have hidden motives. Hidden secrets. And so, you know, she had the, these feelings all along. Because if it was in her heart to say it so fluid and easy. Why don't she just curse God and die? That's what she said. Let's look at what she said this at. She said this in um, in, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Douse, do it, do it. No, I'm sorry. Douse, thou still retain thine integrity. Curse God and die. That's what she said in chapter 2. Job. Job chapter 2 verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Doubt thou shall retain thine integrity. Curse God and die. She's telling him, why are you still maintaining integrity with God? Just curse him. See, the enemy knew who he could use. But God knew what Job's choice would be. So even though you may think like, okay, this is a bad situation. Oh, we, you know, I didn't want a divorce, but my husband was beating on me. So God wants you to have something different. It says that when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and is blessed by the Lord. It's not when a woman finds the man. It's when a man finds a wife. So you out here making decisions without God, quit doing that. You need to include God in your choices, include God in your decisions.
So that's what happened with Job. So we see that God's response to Job was Job was loyal because God blessed him with twice as much as he had before. That's what the, the Bible talks about receiving a reward of faithfulness and true faith. So Job didn't, Job didn't rebuke God out of his life. He didn't blame God for anything. He just looked up with patience on God and waited for God to deliver him. His deliverance was death and public humiliation, just like someone else who, who died in public humiliation. It says, we read on Job 42, verse 10 through 12, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And then selfie time, all his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and gold ring. So the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. So it says, the author says, well, I hope God forgave Job's wife and she, she endured, enjoyed the latter blessings with him. Well, we know that this isn't true. Because it didn't say that. So that's doing, what is it? Eisegesis, that's reading into it. You, you elaborate going too far deep on into something else that's not being said in the Bible, Okay. So it's so important for us to have exegesis, which is reading the word exactly for what it says, not reading into the word. So now let's move forward on to Moses, right? So Moses was an insecure man. He was exiled because he was a loser, right? So at one point in his life, he was undeserving. He was unwilling to cooperate. He, he was, you know, he always made excuses about things. About, specifically about the things that God was asking him to do. So he said, God, I can't do what you want me to do because I have a terrible, horrible past. I've sinned, I killed, I lied, I ran away, I betrayed my family's confidence. I relinquished my spiritual talents. I'm full of hate. I'm, I suffered stage fright and those were just a few of his excuses, according to this author. So if you look at the book of Exodus, it talks about how Moses had identity problems. He needed anger management classes. He um, started a political career on the wrong foot by killing his adversary. Then he ran away and hid from everyone, including God. So there was certainly a specific calling in Moses. But he felt like it, he knew it. Um, but on Egyptian Sunday schools, he didn't really teach about sovereign the sovereignty of God. Right? So young Moses knew that there was a living God, but he was in disagreement with the establishment and the better life for the people. So his trust was in his human skills which were shattered after he failed to promote himself as a potential leader to a new political party. So don't get me wrong. This was all about power and politics 
at the stage of young Moses' life. After all the pain and struggle that he had went through for 80 years, now he want to respond to God that he was not convinced that he had a divine calling. So he noticed that he had intellect, science. He was a, a, a believer. So let's look at um let's look at Exodus and let's look at uh Job. I'm sorry, not Job. Let's look at Moses. Hold on one second. One second. Okay, so if we go to Exodus 3. It talks about, I'm sorry, I'm doing my podcast. Okay, so if we look at Exodus 3, um, Moses and the burning bush. Um, we see that. And Moses, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up when the lord saw that he had gone over to look god called to him from within the bush moses moses and moses said here i am verse 5 says do not come any closer god said take off your sandals for the from for the place where you are standing is holy ground then he said i am the god of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the, that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jubazites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Hold on one second, please.
thank you all so much for holding. And so in verse 12, it says, no, I'm sorry, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on, on this mountain. Moses said, God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Parasites, Hevites, and Jubazites. Jubazites, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, God... When God make a promise to you, you have to understand that God is going to deliver on his promise. So it doesn't matter about what people say or about even how you may have negatively had an experience. That experience probably negatively impacted your life, but it is all meant for you to glorify God on how God delivered you from that experience. It's all meant to glorify God. So in verse 18, it says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us to take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So we see that God had a calling for Moses. In chapter 4 of Exodus, Exodus 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord says to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord says to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, out and took the hand, hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in, into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. 
it had become as white as snow. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the now and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So he didn't even feel like he was even worthy to do this task. So a lot of times, many of us may not feel that we are worthy. We may not feel like we deserve this position. We not we don't feel like, okay, but God, you made a, you gave us purpose because of some of the things that you have done in your life. It's like, okay, well, God is saying, no, no, no. This is what I want you to do. It doesn't matter about your perspective or your perception with how you view yourself. So in verse 11, the Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take his staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. So you see, this was filled with doubt and unbelief for Moses. Moses had doubt and unbelief so he went and 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 god had gave him supernatural signs to impress pharaoh and then the egyptians had magic tricks but god ultimately did not have to perform no magic tricks and god prevailed god triumphed over pharaoh and his magicians and sorcerers so when they were, when the Israelites were exiled out of Egypt, they became like humble shepherds, shepherds that were, um, no, I'm saying that Moses became a humble shepherd of God, but Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery. Okay. So, um, that's it for now. It's a couple of more people, people, which is Gideon and Peter. And so I'll talk about them tomorrow. But what I want to go over now is before I begin to reflect on the um, different tissues to invest, I just want to make sure that everyone understands that failure is not a permanent condition. Failure is a temporary condition. 
You have to look at failure as an opportunity for you to trust God. So even though there are a lot of people that may, you know, feel like they have failed, but failure usually is followed by success. Failure is followed by success. So understand that God wants you to know that even if you don't have the support system that you need from your family, your friends, your coworker, your spouse, anybody, God can be your support system. All you need to do is depend on him and call on him. So let's look at, so I went over the tushy paper. Let's look at some of the plant paper. Okay. And I believe that I had an issue with pulling this up. Let's see. Here we go. This should be it here. All right. Go ahead and put this here. Okay, so the plant paper, you can go to plantpaper.us and they say that they are the softest on the planet. They have a bunch of reviews here too. Let's read a couple reviews. So it says, don't just take it from us. Here's a review from Janet M. Best toilet paper. Plant paper is the best toilet paper I have ever used. It is so thick, strong, and soft. Cannot find another toilet paper which compares to plant paper. Gabrielle G. April 12, 2023. Ugh. Okay, she's saying that something something has never been happier solid deal family of three on the 18 week rotation she's glad that she made the switch christian w love this stuff easy to order shipping is prompt tissue is great quality has good thickness softness etc have had no issues with toilet clogging my only complaint i wish the rolls were bigger okay so, so far, those are all five-star ratings. All right, now let's look at some of their, why it says why plants. So, why we develop plant paper. Plant paper is our response to an industry and, and hygienic practice in dire need of an update. Okay, so that's, it's going to give us some history here, looks like. So in the early 20th century, after centuries of wiping with stones, sponges, shirt tails, and corn cobs, we started using paper made of virgin tree pulp, chlorine, uh, formaldehyde, and a host of other toxic chemicals, a scorched earth approach to cleaning this, and have it stopped since. The hidden costs of this practice are appalling 27,000 trees per day. 
flush down the world's toilets, including thousands of acres of boreal forest per minute, 37 gallons of water per roll, and over a gallon of bleach, formaldehyde, and the other chemicals per roll. And we now know that the very chemicals that make our toilet paper so white and fluffy also make it the cause of urinary tract infections, fissures, vulvar irritation, and hemorrhoids. Times have changed, and so have our ideas about what it means to be clean. The supply chain behind most toilet paper sold in the U.S. is controlled by a small handful of big corporations. With little competition to incentivize them to innovate, they continue to do what they have always done best, cutting down trees, contaminating our waterways and bloodstreams and getting rich doing it. This is interesting right here, okay? This, this I, I love the history behind what they're doing. Um, so all the while, they hide behind the excuse that if their products are harsh on the environment and on our bodies, it's because that's what the public wants. It's certainly not what we wanted. So let me let me just say this. It's one thing for us to, you know, sob in our misery because we're investing in the wrong thing. So I would like to hear a solution. Okay, and I know that the solution is their plant paper, but it's okay to, you know, like state the facts and not downgrade people. Um a lot of times it's so difficult with, you know, stating the facts without incorporating your opinion. But it's very important to make sure that when you're um, comparing your product to another product, not to downplay. It's important to just specifically focus on the facts. People like numbers. They like statistics. They like they like the history, too. But it's better to focus on the facts rather than downplay your opposition. And we noticed that this is happening in politics. You hear Donald Trump against Ron DeSantos, or you hear you hear all these different politicians just going to war with each other and talking about what the other party is not going to do, and the other party is not going to do this because the other party can't do A and B, and the other party can't do that, and the other party can't do this. And now we can't even hear about what that representative or a politician is going to be able to do. So they provide little discussion about what they plan on changing while strategizing using all of this empirical information about what their opponents cannot do. So they take these pessimistic approaches to going after their opposition, which in fact, it's not anything different from any other politician. But if you want to stand out, you want to make sure that you're doing you utilizing an approach strategically that state the facts and what your abilities of change and the things that you can do. So focusing on the cans and not on the can'ts. It's about what you can do, not what your opposition can do, right? Um so I had I really liked the one lady uh, I'm trying to remember her name. Hold on, let me let me pull up her information. Okay.
Her name is Rhonda McDaniel. And so she had went against Harmeet's uh, Dylan. Um, and so this lady, now I, I kind of like some of the approaches that that uh, Harmeet was doing. Um, I liked her background, but she wasn't aggressive enough. All she focused on was her opponent. What her, what is Rhonda McDaniel doing? Rhonda McDaniel can't do this. Rhonda McDaniel can't do that. Rhonda McDaniel can't. No, 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 no. You don't go about politics that way. People want to hear what you can do. They're sick and tired. They're fed up about the opposition and what they can't do. What can you do? What can you provide? And even though Rhonda McDaniel is an incumbent, it's unfortunate that she's running the Republican Party because it would have been nice if uh, if Harmeet was going to do it. But really, now that I really think back on the entire thing, right, I really say, I'm like, okay, well, Harmeet, she probably shouldn't have been even running against Ronna McDaniel because she wasn't even her equal. Ronna McDaniel chose not to debate with Harmeet. And I think it's mainly in part because Harmeet just simply focused on what Ronna McDaniel's activities were. She didn't strategize in a way where she focused on the things that she can provide. I can provide this. I can provide that. I can provide focusing on the cans and not focusing on the cans. So, so far, just looking at this toilet paper just brought some ideas in my mind with how we can strategize the different products that we buy and our competition too, like in the market for if you're trying to get a job, don't focus on your competition. Don't focus on what other people are doing differently than you in the market. Focus on the things that you can do. Don't focus on the kinks. Don't focus on the opposition. Okay? It's all about the numbers. What are the facts? What can you do? What can you get done? And so I really like this, um, the way that they explain it. So let me continue on reading this. Um, so all the while, they hide behind the excuse that if their products are harsh on the environment and on our bodies, it's because that's what the public wants. It's certainly not what we wanted. And if if it's up and up until this point, that's what we've been buying. It's mostly because we haven't known enough to demand an alternative or couldn't find a good one if we did. Toilet paper companies have always spoken in euphemisms about what their product is meant for and how and, and, and have used cuddly bears and babies to distract us from the real business at hand. We didn't want to be talked down to and we didn't want to be to be beat around the bush. We wanted a toilet paper for 21st century humans. So this is a toilet paper for everybody. After three years of research and development, we arrived at a product we're proud of, made entirely out trees, zero chlorine or formaldehyde, and requiring only a fraction of the water needed to produce tree paper. 
Silky Soft and Strong featuring two sides. One for dabbing, one for grabbing to keep us clean and leave no trace. We think now is the time to make the change. Ecology is intimate. I actually, I love this. I do. I do like this. So I'm going to join their mailing list. Okay. So going back. Now let's look at some of their facts here. What is plant paper made out of? Our rolls are made of S. FSC certified organically grown bamboo pulp harvested in China. Bamboo is one of the world's fastest growing plants capable of growing up to three feet in 24 hours. It requires little water, no fertilizer and regenerates on its own after cutting. The more regularly bamboo is harvested, the faster it grows. We're thrilled with the way bamboo performs in plant paper. Both from a human health and environmental perspective, views that are always two sides of the same coin. But bamboo isn't the be-all and end-all when it comes to plant materials suitable for making toilet paper. Expect ever lower impact, more, innovate, and more innovative sources of paper pulp in the months and years to come. And so what do you call yourself? Why do you call yourself plant paper? We do this to distinguish ourselves from tree paper. Technically speaking, trees are plants, but the materials that make up plant paper are most definitely not trees. They belong instead to the grass family or poesia. Let me see how they pronounce this word. I, I would like to know. Posier. Okay. So they belong to the um, grass family, Posier, a family of plants characterized by long, slender leaves and hollow stems. Unlike trees, most grasses reach their full height in a single growing season compared to decades. Uh, okay. So what's wrong with the toilet paper made from trees? So uh, using toilet paper um, is ecological is an ecological catastrophe. You've probably seen that the statistic that 27,000 trees are cut down each day to make toilet paper. Um, so a big number to be sure of, but what does it mean? Any tree is better off left standing than flush down the toilet. But not all trees and not all forests are equal are created equal. Most toilet paper sold in the U.S. and Canada contains a significant percentage of pulp derived from old-growth virgin trees found in the Canadian boreal forest. This forest, which spans Canada and to the rest of the northern hemisphere, just below the Arctic Circle, is the world's most important carbon sink. It stores more carbon than all of the world's gas, coal, and oil reserves combined and removes carbon dioxide from the atmosphere equivalent to the annual emissions of 24 million passenger vehicles. The effects of clear cutting such forests are staggering. 
So clear cutting the Canadian Boreal Forest releases about 26 million metric tons of carbon dioxide each year. While some of these portions of the forest are replanted, they adhere to the Forest Stewardship Council regulations, which can take more than 100 years to return to their original state. And many of them never do. So we have the old growth forests, um, which are of the planet's most important bulwarks against ca catastrophic climate change, but it has come under sustained assault by the tree paper industry. So despite the ambiguity um, of toilet paper in our lives, there's only a small handful of companies who actually produce the stuff. And as a result, they hold outsized decision-making power over what products we introduce into our most precious environments. So that is what makes it unsafe. Why isn't the toilet paper white? Well, plant paper is totally chlorine-free, um, TCF. So that is, until recently, almost all toilet paper was made with chlorinated bleach. In the last few years, as the damaging effects of bleach on our bodies and the environment became harder to ignore, some toilet paper companies have switched to an ECF process or eliminate chlorine-free. This is a marginal improvement over previous methods, but elemental chlorine particles are still produced in the process and ultimately find their way into our waterways and also into our blood bloodstreams. So plant paper contains no dyeing agents or any of that kind. So the off-white color of our paper corresponds to the natural color of the bamboo pulp, which is used to make it. Um, is plant paper PFAs free? Yes, there are six main PFA compounds that account for the majority of PFAs that is detected in this toilet paper with an additional 22 compounds, which are less prevalent. They also test the plant paper for all 28 of these and had zero detections. So why China? Well, the good question is, um, previous life cycle analyses uh, comparing the impact of tree-free toilet paper produced in China for Western markets to that of domestically produced tree paper indicate that even with the and incremental carbon and environmental costs associated with ocean freight, the imported free, the imported tree-free paper uses less carbon by a factor of three. So simply put, tree paper is made by systematically destroying the most efficient system of carbon capture on earth, the boreal forest. So basically they're not using anything from the boreal forest because it takes over a hundred years for those um, trees to reproduce, okay? And so they're basically seeing in Western um, markets, which is the United States, because we are, um, you know, dominated by Western civilization ideologies. And so that that's who they're appealing to. So um, why is plant paper better than recycled paper? Recycled is a big improvement over paper made from virgin tree pulp. It uses less water, less energy and fuel chemicals. Um, why is the toilet paper better than regular white bamboo toilet paper? Well, we spent the last three years working with different manufacturing partners. Um, they have different ingredients, density, ply, and other variables that impact the way that they are producing this paper. So is the toilet paper okay for the septic system? Yes, it is. 
So what's the deal with the dotted matrix? Um, so it says the plant paper's signature in bowls pattern is about more than just decoration. It improves the performance. So through trial and error, we, they discovered that there is a pattern of dimples running continuously across the surface of the paper. And this helped make the paper grippier, meaning we got more out of each wipe and ultimately use fewer sheets. On the flip side, the debold side of the paper, the one facing outwards on the roll, is extra silky and soft, perfect for dabbing. Um, do you ship to Canada? Yes. Can I order wholesale? Yes. Um, you can order wholesale for pricing and shipping times. You can contact info at plantpaper.us. The shipping policy is um, always free within the con uh, contiguous uh, United States. They ship from two warehouses close to the coast so that they can cut down on distance. They um, that so that they can cut down on the distance that their package is traveling, including um, the customers on the coast will typically receive shipments within one to three business days on their orders. And customers further inland can typically expect to receive packages within two to four business days. So when you think of business days, exclude weekends, please. Business days are not including weekends. So unfortunately, at this time, they do not ship to Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, or other U.S. stories. Um, we hope to change that as soon as possible. But please do keep in mind that due to COVID, there may also be restrictions due to that as well. Um, there have been a lot of problems with import and export. I ordered some things from, I don't remember exactly what country it was, but I never got it in the mail. It was sitting there for months and months and months, and I never got the package. So because they were sitting over there in um, uh, bordering customs, right? And so there's a rigorous process for shipping items within the U.S. territories and other countries. The returns and cancellations. Let's look here. For reasons of health and safety, we do not currently accept returns. That That's good, right? So customers must report a package as missing two weeks from the shipment date. All right. Active orders can be canceled and refunded as long as the package has not shipped yet. Their privacy policy, you can read that there. Um, I'm not going to go over their privacy policy, but they do have their business contact information, um, which is uh, Plant Paper LLC. Their address is 1741 Overlook Drive, Silver Spring, Maryland, 20903. Okay, so let's look at their orders and how much they charge. So if you were to subscribe... So, okay, so you see like the little dents in the paper here. So they, they, they're saying that basically this, this adds more uh, strength to, you know, doing the job there. Okay. So if you were to subscribe to, let's see how, how many you get. I want to know specifically what's in there. Okay. They have a lot of more information here too. So I wanted to know how many sheets. Mm. 
I don't see how many sheets. Mm. Okay, so you get, you can get 32 rows for $58. That's a two to four person household. And so that sounds about right, right? Um, it say it lasts, uh, or you can get a 96 rows for $150. That is good there. If you subscribe, if you bat at once, it's $165. So let's look at that. Let's calculate this. Let's see how I calculated the one above it. So this one doesn't have how many sheets it is. That's the only thing. So I, I don't know how many sheets. So I'll have to put X on that. Let's look at that here. So I'm gonna go here. We have, okay, you get 96. You get 96 rows. Let's look at that. 96 rows for 150 under the subscription. So let's see what's the cost on that. So we have one. That's going to be, um, wait. That's actually going to be a dollar and um, 56 cent per row. No, actually, it's not. Let me see. So that's gonna be about a dollar and fifty-seven cents per row for a hundred. I'm sorry, for ninety-six um, rows. So this was unknown. The sheets are unknown. X. So, well, I'm going to look at 